0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Buy the Book on BFM 89.9. Hello everyone, you're listening to Buy the Book with me, Sharmila Ganesan, and as always, my fellow emotional reader, Lee Chui Lin. Hello. So today we are focusing on something that most regular readers will empathize with, I think. The notion of books that, well, we were going to say big feelings, but but essentially books that make you cry. Books that uh, <laughs> take you to the precipice of emotion and then drag you over and leave you feeling a number of things. I think a whole bundle of things that may be good or bad. So obviously
1: this doesn't come out of nowhere, right? I recently finally finished reading a book that did exactly this and then had, Like a very desperate desire to talk about it and therefore have now generated an entire show from it. But in all seriousness, I do think that this is a particular kind of book and a particular kind of skill on the part of the writer. I don't think that this is something that every book actually brings out in people. I don't think that this is something that every writer knows how to do because we say things like tearjerker or books are described as such. And especially for a time in, I want to say, the 70s and 80s, romantic novels or romance novels were really kind of built around this premise but that but it's not really something that everyone can do and also when you try to do it and it doesn't succeed it actually really drags the reader out of the experience so I thought it was worth kind of
0: pointing to the people who've actually done it and done it well. So I wanted to actually ask you, because I do have mixed feelings about this one, whether you even like books that sort of do that, that make you cry or um, deal with these these big, deep emotions, because I think I have mixed emotions in the sense that I like them once I've read them, but I'm often very hesitant to take them on. Um, I need to be, if if a book is Constantly described to me as, "Oh, it, it's going to make you cry. Oh, this is going to be a tough read, but it's worth it." I often tend to wait. Um, it's mm. it's exactly why I still haven't read Hanya. Hanya, Yanag- Hanya uh, Yes, A, a Little yes. Life. Um yes. I, I still haven't read it because too many people have told me that they were bereft after reading it and it's tough. It's it's actually even more different than watching a movie that makes you cry, which which we'll get to in our footnotes today. But with a book, you're sitting with it for so long and you've spent so much time with it that I'm quite cautious about picking up a book that I know is going to put me in that kind of headspace.
1: So, I'm so glad you brought up uh, a little. Life, because this is actually a book that I have had for I want to say two years, and it's just been sitting there on my unread pile, mocking me. Um, <laughs> and I pick it up every so often, and then I find that I just um, because for for people who are unaware, it basically tells the story of a group of young, a group of men who are. Tied by you know friendship and trauma and all these different things, and the further along you go, the deeper you get into one person's trauma and how that has shaped the rest of their relationships. And in fact, there have been conversations about whether or not that book is trauma porn, right? Whether or not it just kind of revels so heavily in in pain that it doesn't have that kind of variety, and. Yeah, when you know that ahead of time, it does make it hard, doesn't it, for you to just kind of go into it. I prefer not knowing. I I think that that is better. Although if you look at the cover of A Little Life, it is impossible not to know. It is
0: it is a face of anguish. So the not knowing, I think, is actually important for me with books. There have been many books that I didn't expect to be emotionally sucker-punched by um, and I didn't end up resenting it. But I think uh, too much of this prepping um, often makes you feel a little hesitant and then you think too much about Headspace and whether you're in the right time in life to to read something like this. Um, I wanted to ask you what that book was that, that led us down this path. Today,
1: man. Okay, so basically, it is the Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, Uh, which is a book that I which I've laid off of, (laughs) which is a book that I've mentioned and in fact made it to my best of last year. Um, I have a confession, therefore, when I made when I mentioned it as best of last year, I was about halfway through, Um, and I have been reading this book off and on for five months because every chapter, I started feeling incredibly overwhelmed and close to tears and kind of very raw-edged and nervy. And and I just couldn't really sit with that feeling. And so I ended up putting the book off. And then I finished it in a rush because I was like, I've had it. I know how this ends. It's fine. I'm just going to go for it. And I confess myself obsessed, Sharmila. I'm obsessed. Um, I just want everyone to read it and um, for us to talk about it. It will probably make its way into a book club at some point. But um, yeah, I think the thing about it is with these sorts of books in particular, because The Song of Achilles is a is an old-fashioned tragedy. That's what had me thinking about this. It's about hubris in many ways. It's about how hubris costs a person the love of their life and what happens next it's also about fate and tragedy and fate in the old-fashioned sense in the sense of the three fates and and all the rest of it and so it's a few things it is a massive love story and it's also a really classic tragedy of a person brought down by a fatal flaw and those two things had me thinking about this discussion on two fronts first being how uh reading a really good love story makes you feel more in love with your own life. I think that there's something about that that's important because especially for those of us, all of us, who have lived through a pandemic, I think we've all become accustomed to being quite numb, feeling quite numb. And there's something about this depth of emotion that was quite fun to feel in some ways, even though it was hard. And the other thing is, formulas work.
0: I haven't read The Song of Achilles, and and that's actually because of all of these things that you've just said. And, and the things I've just said, I'm a little bit scared. I'm a little bit scared that it'll get to me too much. Although Madeline Miller is such a good writer. Um, I love um, her her next bestseller, Circe. Um, and so I will get to it. So so maybe we should commit to doing it as a book club sometime soon. So I, I feel forced to reading it. Um, but that question of um, formula or the question of themes, right? Because I think that capturing this this coming together of um, the big feelings um, ultimately in resulting ultimately resulting in the reader feeling enough that that they you know have this outpouring of emotion. I think it's two parts. One is a story that connects to people in such a way that elicits that kind of reaction. And then the writing is the other part. And and I think the two have to come together in a very particular way. Because otherwise, going back to what you said earlier, otherwise it feels formulaic. It feels like the author is trying to prod at you. And, and that doesn't always work. Um, one book that I always think about when I think about books that really made me cry is Patrick Ness's A Monster Calls. And again, when we talk about formula, it actually... It actually lays out a trope that's very common. A child that is dealing with a parent struggling with cancer. Um, So in this case, it's Connor and his mother has been diagnosed with cancer. But then what the book does with that story, literalizing those fears and literalizing it as this monster that appears every night at Connor's window. And then later expanding that to also um, look at some very grown up themes I think there's a reason why a lot of books that end up being called tearjerkers deal with young people or deal with adolescents or youth, um, because there's a certain uh, rawness of emotion at that that phase in life. And there's also a, a certain honesty that you can have, um, often with a lot of books that deal with quote-unquote adult problems, it's a little bit more difficult to wholly like the person you're reading about because they feel more uh, beaten down or world-weary or whatever. But when it's a child and when it's a child dealing with something like the death of a parent or the, the impending death of a parent, I think that is a formula that almost always works when handled well.
1: I have a bunch of thoughts, actually, to do with that, Uh, not just about younger people, but also about cancer. We have actually done a whole show, um, books about cancer, actually, in in the past, in conjunction, I believe, with with World Cancer Day, I want to say. And I think with something like that, where it's so universal, um, and yet also each tragedy is so specific, there is something... There is something to be said about writing about disease and writing specifically about a disease like cancer, which we can expand on later.
0: We're talking about books that make you cry, books that elicit big, huge emotions. Let us know what are some of your favourites. Really, what are some books that have made you cry? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, or write to us at buythebook at bfm.my.
2: Bringing fresh meaning, BFM 89.9.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And today we're talking about, well, books that make us cry or uh, made us feel emotions in a big way. Um, So we've been, I think, laying out the different things in books that often elicit these sort of things. Lynn, what else do you have for us in terms of suggestions or, well, Uh, confessions?
1: Well, I have one that I just wanted to follow up on in relation to what we were talking about earlier to do with books about ill people. um, And that is basically Fault in Our Stars. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) uh, not, Not really, because... It's a good book, uh, yeah. but it's not necessarily one that I, I think I need to belabor. But I just think that there is something about writing about mortality, something about writing about mortality at a at a young age, about young love, about young loss, um, all these different things. I was absolutely just a dehydrated crisp after that book, and I do think, like I said earlier, that there is something about writing about cancer. I'm thinking also about "When Breath Becomes Air" by Paul Kalanity. and. There's something about writing about cancer that I think really gets to people. On the other hand, because it is so universal, I think you also need to tread lightly. Because otherwise, it feels as if you're capitalising on other people's trauma, right? In order to get those tears going.
0: I've often wondered whether when people read our books decades from now, you know, whether they'll feel about cancer the way we feel now when we read about consumption in books Mm. at a particular time, right, Uh, where we no longer feel that kind of connection with it. I mean, sure, it's sad when Beth eventually dies of it. but Spoiler. I I mean, I hope, I hope I'm not spoiling little women for anyone, Um, but... We don't feel that kind of visceral connection to it because we no longer really know what the experience of going through that is. Whereas something like cancer for us is, mm-hmm. um, as a society, something that we've been so, um, I mean if it if it hasn't happened to someone you know it's happened to you've heard about it happening to somebody you've watched so many things read so many things you've been through it yourself yeah so i i think there is a immediacy to particularly cancer and a reason why we see so many books using this as a as a storytelling device but on that note of mortality i and, and young people i wanted to go all the way to the other side of it because the kind of mortality or rather the That end of life thing that I think gets to me or scares me also tends to be of the mind. And I think that's why this book always sticks with me. Um, Still Alice by Lisa Genova. When I read that book, I confess I was equal parts so sad, but also scared, like truly terrified, because the book does such a great job of um, taking you through the journey of a woman who, uh, Alice, who made a life out of her mind. Right. Um, And then her dealing with having early onset Alzheimer's and the progressive losing of her faculties. And the author herself is a neuroscientist. So she she does a really good job of capturing each stage of it. Um, And I think there's something so personal and immediate about a story like that, uh, that I think, I think books that make you cry can sound very simplistic, but there are different reasons why that can happen. And still, Alice does it to me in a very specific way.
1: So while we're talking about situations, right, um, and the kinds of things that can that can elicit that reaction. I was thinking about how, uh, so I have two books, uh, both of which have a, a similar theme, which I think will become clear. So one is Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, uh, and the other is Stephen King's The Green Mile, both of which feature a person who learns differently, who has a different mind, and who in some ways is deeply taken advantage of uh, because of that difference. And while they're very different stories, they are thoroughly American stories set in very specific periods of American history. And in both instances, uh, I remember, for example, in reading The Green Mile, like losing the ability to see the page, which is is something, you know? It's I, I think uh, Stephen King, as we've said many times on the show, doesn't always get a lot of shine for his writing. But it is something when you can write a situation and a character with such immediacy that it garners that reaction, and similarly um, with *Of Mice and Men*. Not to, I'm not like you, carelessly spoiling Beth for everybody. <laughs> um, but at the climax of *Of Mice and Men*, I, I actually still cannot read that scene. It, it still so
0: deeply bothers me what happens. Green Mile is a book that I love and haven't reread in years mm. and years just because of of how much I know it will get to me. And, and I think that's something we can talk about a bit later. The revisiting of a book that you know is going to get at you emotionally. But in that vein, actually, Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes uh, is also a book that has to do with exactly that. A person who is differently abled, um, who suffers from an intellectual disability. And the book has become... Not controversial, but perhaps not as uh, easy to read now just because there are criticisms about perhaps decentering the character or decentering uh, the disability in a certain way. But I do remember though, when I first read it, this notion of the mind and what it means to define yourself by the way you think or the way you learn, um, how that changes you when it may, because essentially the story is about a person who is given the opportunity to have a surgical procedure that changes their ability. So they become quote unquote normal. Um, and at the same time, the uh, lab mouse that was experimented on with this procedure, Algernon, um, he sees the mouse declining. So eventually he realizes that he is going to decline as well. Um, And so there's a certain sadness, I think, in that uh, a sort of a sort of enjoyment of the present, but uh, a despair at the future, all of which comes together to make you feel. um, In the end, I think the reason the book is so powerful is because it's not about one person and their ability or lack thereof, but it's actually about the way we all contend with loss and our own eventual decline. We are just
1: a I know. pair of bright, sparky creatures, aren't we? Everybody loves spending time with us. <laughs> you know, It's so much fun at parties. I mean, we knew this was happening when we picked this as the theme. We, we did, but it was also something that we hadn't yet discussed. For all the ways in which actually the books that we are mentioning, some of them have come up in our show before, I don't think that we've talked about it through this exact lens, um, but it is an important lens because... I think these are the things that you remember. Sometimes you don't remember the exact story arc. You don't remember necessarily sentences or things like that. But you do remember the characters and what happens to them. I think that tends to be what informs this reaction, right? And since we often talk about reading as an empathy-generating machine, you know, it's an empathy-generating action, this is a huge part of why it is we read, I suppose. Um, I wanted to close off uh, on my for my part with sagas or epics, uh, because I think that there is something specific about huge novels, about novels that really, really run the course of a person's life or family's lives that actually also elicits these reactions, because it's like you said, um, the ability to see larger arcs uh, or to know that how a person begins a journey may not determine how they end it the knowledge of that, um, the ability to see the whole thing through, sometimes that just, I don't know, you know, it, it just it just gets me. Uh, I'm thinking here of Michael Shabon and The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which is about this very complex relationship. It, it spans so many different eras and decades. The relationships interchange, uh, situations change as the the two men's lives go on. And through it all, you really get a sense of, I go back to what I started the show with, fatal flaws. Uh, you really get to see why people behave the way they do, when they can change and when they can't. And there's there's something about that that, you know, really pulled me through the book at a great pace. And by the end of it, it stayed with me for, for months. I haven't actually
0: read that one. Um... You will love it, <laughs> I, I think, I think. But also cry. Well... Well, I
1: mean, isn't that everything
0: that yes, we're talking about? I shall add it to the list of books I will approach with caution, but but shall. Um, but but in contrast to that, actually, I'm, my final two recommendations are the exact opposite of sagas. One is The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman, which is a, a novella, I think. It's not even a full novel. Um, but you and your death. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I've certainly gone down a particular path with this one today. But I think... People don't normally mention Neil Gaiman in in this sort of tearjerker kind of genre. But again, it's one of those stories that has to do with a person returning to their childhood home um, and realizing that there were whole swaths of things that happened to him that have just become threads of memories and slowly recalling them and a particular period in his life and the people he knew. And there's something so melancholic about the whole book, so... um, reminiscent of the way you might think of your own childhood and the things that uh, you don't even remember you knew or did um, until something triggers a particular memory. And there's something so meditative about the way the book is written. it's not like a particular scene made me cry or a particular passage, but the entire experience of reading the book just left me with this feeling of melancholy and and just on the edge of needing to cry, uh, mm. which I think is a is a kind of really special thing. It's it's a very ungamman like book in that sense because it's kind of very still in a way that his other books are not.
1: You know what. the the word is, I think, that we haven't said, but that describes the state of affairs, is that these books leave you feeling vulnerable. And um, they leave you feeling vulnerable and and open. And so again, in a time where perhaps many of us have had to hunker down and stop feeling big feelings uh, in order to just make it through the last two years relatively unscathed. There is something about being able to be vulnerable in a safe space, i.e. reading, that is, is important and is special and- Keeps
0: you feeling connected to things. My final recommendation, and I've talked about this before, but I thought I would close off on it because it's it's an upper. It's a bit of an upper, at least. Uh, it's Wonder by R.J. Palacio, um, and uh, you know, it's 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 such a popular children's book. But it's a it's a book about a boy with a facial disfigurement um, who essentially learns to go to school and makes make friends, and it's about how the entire community also learns. To welcome him and accept him. And that one will make you cry, but in a, in hopefully a good way. Happy tears, tears of I think empathy. And and I think there's there's some value in that as well. I wanted to close off before we move on to footnotes by asking you, Lynn, why do you like reading these books? I mean, it isn't easy to always feel so much, right? Or be left crying at the end of a book.
1: I think I appreciate, uh, like I said, that feeling of openness and vulnerability that it can leave you with. Uh, For a little while, it's like the world seems a little bit more vivid, not just the world of the book, but the world that we occupy because you have opened up, right? It's kind of cracked you open a little bit. And I just love that feeling, even if it comes at the cost of um, dehydration. But the other part of it is uh, actually also what I said at the start, which is that, there is skill in artistry here. Um, I don't really, it is not within the reach of every single writer to make you cry or to make you feel things. And that's okay. But there is something to appreciate about the, the quality and skill of the
0: writing and characterization that these books often bring. I agree with all of that. And I just wanted to add one selfish reason, which is that often these books make me feel seen they make me mm. feel seen and heard in a way that perhaps is difficult to express to real people it validates maybe some of the darker deeper emotions that i might feel uh, that are difficult to talk about and reading reading them realized within the pages of a book is a very intimate but um sort of safe safe way yes exactly mm. uh, to to work through them for yourself let us know, uh, do you enjoy books that uh, give you those big feelings that make you cry? What are some titles that you'd recommend? You can WhatsApp 18 789 tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at Book at bfm.my. <laughs> to footnotes and we thought we would uh, close off this conversation by talking about perhaps what's a natural extension of so many of these books which is movie adaptations um, and specifically in this case adaptations of books that have left this kind of deep emotional impact on readers because let's face it they can go either way they can and I think it
1: really depends on how um internal or external the books are. So I'm thinking here of um the the book that kicked off the show, which is the Song of Achilles, and in theory, that should be an easy movie. In fact, it has already been made. It's called Troy, but um it, it's not um but it's not really about that because Troy is the outward expression of a war. Uh, it it really tells the story of the Trojan War minus the gods. Um, in the case of the Song of Achilles, though, it's told through the eyes of like a peace loving non warrior, Patroclus, who just wants to you know do medicine and and stay in his tent with Achilles and all the rest of it. And that's a very different movie. And so I think when it comes to expressing these sorts of big, grand emotions. A lot of it depends on how much of the story is an actual story and how much of it can be shown on screen in a way that makes sense for the screen with plot, with action, with vistas,
0: with things that drive the story forward. Which is why something like um, Still Alice actually was a great adaptation. Um, I thought having someone like Julia and Moore play that character and show that mental decline that she goes through um, her own emotions and experiences. But of course, it could have gone horribly wrong with the different actress and different treatment. One thing that I think film can bring to these sorts of stories is the... The sensorial element, the space, the music mm. and music ends up being so important for stories like these. Uh, but again it's it's why a, a more heavy-handed treatment may derail what was essentially a really fine um, deep story and and it's such a knife's edge thing to walk on.
2: I need to talk to you. I got something wrong with me. What's going on? Oh boy. He's going to break up or? No. No. I have Alzheimer's disease. Early onset. Oh my God. I can see the words hanging in front of me and I can't reach them and I don't know who I am and and I don't know what I'm going to lose next. Stethoscope. Millennium hedgehog. I hate this is happening to me. But we have to keep the important things in our life going. Christmas. We have to try or we're going to go crazy. This might be the last year that I'm myself. Please don't say that. I am not suffering. I am struggling. Struggling to be a part of things. To stay connected to who I once was. So live in the moment, I tell myself. It's really all I can do,
1: live in the moment that. And uh, I wanted to pick up on the thing that you mentioned, which is casting, because as we've established, a lot of this has to do with, usually we talk about a sense of place, but in this case, it's actually a sense of character that is most important. And because of that, who you cast, therefore, is hugely important, because you usually have readers coming into it with a really strong relationship forged with a certain character. And when that person just does not look the way they imagine, does not walk or sound or seem to be the person that they thought it was going to be. I think sometimes there
0: is a little bit of a remove that takes a while to get over. I mentioned wonder earlier, right? And and for all that I enjoyed the film, I actually didn't think the film worked for me nearly as much as the book did. And I think that's because there is a subtlety to the book. There is a power in not... Um, there's a power in being able to imagine these characters and it's a children's book that when they visualize it and put it in the setting of a, of a school and not everyone is equally a strong actor. So you imagine certain characters in certain ways and then when you see them on screen, they don't quite do the thing they did in the book. I think that, you know, these small threads change so much in the emotion that it's able to to elicit finally.
1: You realise what we're doing, don't you? I mean, we're basically on a book show telling everybody that movies aren't as good. Oh my that, that's God, we become those doing. people. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, that's what it is. Um, and, and I think with emotions, I'm certainly not here to say that it cannot be done uh, or that it is always it's always going to be inferior. I think, however, there needs to be an acceptance that it is going to be different and sometimes down to the character. I brought up Fault in Our Stars earlier because I remember that when it came out, there was so much debate about a very specific moment in the film and how that changed the way everybody viewed the character and whether or not the character would have behaved this way. And... And in such a moment, I can't help but think, well, maybe the character needed to do that for the film. Maybe that is what works in a filmic sense. Uh, The same is true for a scene involving Amsterdam, for example. There are all these things, right? And I think that we, as book readers, sometimes need to accept that, as with everything else the movie is to be treated as an entirely different entity. I think sometimes that's very difficult for something we have a strong emotional, not just a fan reaction,
0: but an emotional reaction and tie to. But we just need to let it go. And I I do think that when the the creators try to make it its own thing, it actually ends up being more successful sometimes. Mm. And I have two examples. So A Monster Calls, I love the movie. I love the movie so much. And... I loved it because they understood what the book was, but they also understood they were making a movie. And so I think it it nailed the emotions and the story without needing to go down the we need to do everything the way the book did. And the other one that comes to mind is Never Let Me Go, which for me, I loved as a book, but I also deeply loved as a movie. But I really do think of as two very separate things. and And I again, I think it's because understanding the understanding the the sort of underlying principle and story but then just deciding to throw away the the specific beats is a very important aspect of uh, telling that story the way the medium requires it
2: I come here and imagine that this is the spot where everything I've lost since my childhood is washed up I tell myself if that were true And I waited long enough. Then a tiny figure would appear on the horizon across the field and gradually get larger until I'd see it was Tommy. He'd wave and maybe call. I don't let the fantasy go beyond that. I can't let it. I remind myself I was lucky to have had any time with him at all. What I'm not sure about is if our lives have been so different from the lives of the people we save. We all complete. Maybe none of us really understand what we've lived through will feel we've had enough time.
1: I think tone is important. So uh, you, you mentioned understanding the principles of the story and uh, the tenets. I think understanding the the tone as much as anything else. Because if you're going to move away from the specific beats and rhythms of the story itself, then understanding the the stillness and melancholy with which Ishiguro writes, I think the, the tint of the world in Never Let Me Go is so crucial to hitting the...
0: Hitting the feel, even if, like you said, it's an adaptation. We're talking about adaptations of books that um, made us cry. Uh, that's, you know, we're closing off a whole conversation on that very thing. So let us know if you'd like to recommend titles that made you cry and whether you enjoyed those adaptations. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at Book at bfm.my.